all you reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am here to talk to you about how to reinvent yourself. I also have hubbyclub.com, which is a lot about reinvention, but it covers everything for women 40 plus. Um, reinventing your health, reinventing your career, reinventing your looks, reinventing whatever it is you want to reinvent. So mosey on over to coveyclub.com and check us out for a little bit deeper conversation about change and how to create it and how to make it happen for you. And what we love about Covey Club is we say you should never do change alone. Do it with friends. It's a lot easier and a lot more fun. So today I have for you, Alice Draper. She is a writer and a podcast publicist for coaches. She's from South Africa. She's a writer. She's written for HuffPost, Refinery29, Vice, and more. And when she isn't running her publicity business or trying to find the best coffee spot in a new country, she happens to come to us from Tbilisi, Georgia today. You can find her sharing freelance advice on Instagram at Alice Draper. And what I love about her is she not only has a reinvention story, which she'll tell you about, but she really is has guides for you to reinvent how you pitch yourself out there. I know a lot of you are reinventing your work life. You are moving into a new world of being your own boss. You might be an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur. You might be leaving and thinking, I have to work on my personal brand. And I really do believe that podcasts are the new magazines and where we have to go to get that uh, information and that visibility. And she is an expert in how to get yourself onto a podcast. So I highly recommend that you listen to this, uh, listen to this episode and also go to our, uh, our show notes and download the wonderful, very simple, little outline she's given you for pitching yourself, which is fantastic. So here is Alice Draper. Hi, Alice. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Leslie. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. So let's talk a little bit quickly about you and your background um, and what your reinvention was. You have this beautiful South African uh, accent but you're living in Tbilisi, Georgia now. That's where we are interviewing you from. Just give us a little bit of the background about what you wanted to be and what you ended up doing. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say living. I'm here for a month. Um, but, yeah, that's where I'm based for now. Um, and my background started, I guess, in freelance journalism. Um, I actually I wrote a LinkedIn post today about um, – reading this magazine in South Africa called Saltwater Girl and just feeling my inner ambition stir as a teen and knowing this is what I want to do one day. I want to be a magazine editor. And I can I relate. Think, I can relate. <laughs> I think the differences in generation, Leslie, is that um, my my experience in the magazine industry was being like 16, 17, and my favorite magazine shuttered. And then wow. my second favorite magazine shuttered a few months later. And oh. so I learned really early on, this is not a stable industry to be in. Yeah. Um, I studied journalism. I had funding, so it was it just made sense. I lo always loved journalism. 
I started pitching myself as a freelance journalist while in university, um, and I became kind of obsessed with getting certain bylines. So, like, have post, um, like, I was really audacious when I was 18. I, like, if I go through my email, I was pitching, like, the New York Times, really bad pitches, but I was going for it. Good. Um, so I always had it in me to do the pitching stuff, but um, when I went full-time into freelancing, I just learned really quickly that journalism was not as stable as I would want my career to look like. Um, so I kept pitching. I wrote for publications. I did the journalism stuff, but I wanted to supplement my income with some marketing, um, the content marketing space. So I started copywriting, and that was kind of the start of my reinvention because um, being in the copywriting space, I started working with coaches, and the coaches started asking me to pitch them to places, and it it seemed like a kind of natural um, evolution because I had this background in pitching for myself, Mm. and I spent so many hours pitching myself and trying to get better at the pitching process. Right. Um, yeah, so I started pitching them to podcasts and it did really well. And that's just what I became known for. Like I started getting referred out to pitch people onto places. And so then I pivoted. I was like, Hey, I'm going to drop. I had a social media management client and I had another copywriting client. So I was like doing all the things, but I was like, I, I think I can actually build a business here that's exclusively in publicity. So I started building a business. I have a team of contractors now. I'm working on my scalable offering, which is to teach people how to do this themselves. Cause oh, that's rock- great. <laughs> yeah, it's not rocket science. We just need a good story, and we can pitch ourselves. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's I guess, in a nutshell, um, my, my that's, reinvention. <laughs> that's fabulous, but that's great. And I, I think what I would love to go in depth on is, you know, mm talking about how one reinvents one's approach to pitching oneself out there. A lot of my Mm -hmm. listeners are a little bit older. They're 40 plus. Um, They have left a big corporate job or they may be still in a corporate job thinking about getting out or they may be on the verge of getting out or they have started a side business or they've plunged in wholly and gone entrepreneurial and one of the big issues is, oh, my God, how do I let anybody know what I'm doing? And um, how do we put ourselves out there? When I grew up, you know, you had to have a publicity person. You couldn't do this yourself. And um, so the wonderful news is with the advent of the Internet, you can. But how do you get started How do you do this? And what are your sort of tips and tricks for reinventing the way you might look at publicity um, today? Because it is so different. In the old days, you had to go through magazines. I, you know, I was the doorkeeper for a lot of magazines and I had to have a great picture. I, I wouldn't, I didn't have time to, there was only limited space also. You could only put so many people in, right? Yeah. And, um, and you had to make sure it was a good pitch. You still have to do that. It's unlimited space, but you still have to do that. And how do you get someone's attention? So, yeah. um, Yeah. Why don't you give us a little, great question. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Give us a, give, give us a little idea quickly about how do you think the landscape has changed and why you can do it yourself? 
Yeah, well, I guess because everyone's an email away. And even, I mean, you, Leslie, the edit, if you want to write an op-ed for the New York Times, it's an email away. Like, I think you have to submit a full submission, but because of the internet, you, there are no barriers except the quality of what you're writing. Um, so I think that it all starts with a good story. Um, a good story is how you get an acceptance, regardless of how many followers you have, what contacts you have. Um, I'm busy working on a piece for Business Insider on podcast publicity, and I was just going through the edits now, and the editor asked me if, like, social media metrics play a role. And honestly, like, my clients who perform the best don't have great social media metrics because I think, and maybe you can attest to this, Leslie, but I think that nothing hooks a podcast host more than a gripping story. And mm. um, the social media metrics are helpful. They're complementary, but I think that the quality of the guest is the biggest thing. Um, and then on the note of having a good story, I think that comes with practice. So one of the hardest things about this landscape of doing it all ourselves are the mindset blocks of rejection. Um, and I've been there. Like <laughs> when I first started pitching myself to magazines, I would get so emotionally caught up in the process of like imagining the execution of the story and like imagining who I talked to. I'd get totally ahead of not just this is a pitch, I need to get these pitches out and then decide on the, like work on the next steps. So when the rejection would come through, I'd be totally gutted and like <laughs> it was just awful. And um I mean the reality is there are a million reasons why you're getting rejected. Correct. Calendar's full, budget's done, like maybe your pitch isn't great, maybe you need to improve on it, but like it's not helpful getting caught up in a rejection and not moving forward. How do you so know they really... already saw it, right? I mean, my yeah. problem is I dig through <laughs> my emails and I see stuff that was like from four months ago. I finally unearthed something and I'm so mortified and I'm like, oh, this is great. I just didn't see it. Yeah, you know? that's why follow-ups are so important. Like systematize those follow-ups. My acceptances almost always come from follow-ups. Um, yeah, and uh, like I – um know what was really helpful. I don't know, Leslie, if you know about the binders groups. I'm sure you do on Facebook. The binders um, of women? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so there was one there. So this is like a Facebook network for women, for journalists. Um, this is kind of what got me over the rejection hump, which I think is helpful for anyone pitching themselves. Um, there was one called, uh, that was for, re like, rejections, and they would <laughs> set up a pitching challenge where you'd try to get 100 rejections in a year. And that, ah, I love that. That just was a game changer for me because I was like seeing people with decades more experience than me, like celebrating getting rejected from the New Yorker or wherever. And so I set up my spreadsheet. I like set the goals and I stopped taking rejections personally because I was like, it's a game. I need to get my rejections in. Um, and so, yeah, like, I think that kind of focusing more on, like, the output, even if a rejection goal doesn't resonate with you, being like, I'm going to send this many pitches out in a year, like, you're only going to improve, um, and chances are you're more likely to get the publicity you're looking for. Um, so, yeah, say quality of the story, making sure you're getting those pitches out, um, 
I don't know if we should talk on like the types of places to pitch. Yeah, um, first of all, how do you even find out who to pitch to? Where <laughs> is that information? Because it is so, you know, it used to be you used to look at a masthead and you could tell who was doing this or who was doing that. I don't even know where to go today to find that info. I have no idea yeah. who's running anything. Yeah. How do you find the information? Um, I'd say, like, look at examples around you. So if you are, let's say, you're leaving corporate news, starting a business, and there are a bunch of entrepreneurs who are, like, five steps ahead of you doing what's not necessarily exactly what you want to do because you're bringing your own unique value, but doing something similar to what you would want to do. They're speaking to a similar audience, and maybe you're talking to working moms, you're doing career coaching for working moms, and there are people in that niche. I would put their names into like, let's say you're pitching podcasts, pop their names into Apple Podcasts, see what podcasts come up. And those are podcasts, one, that take guests and two, take guests within your audience, probably are the types of podcasts your target audience are looking for. Um, so that's one idea is just kind of track where other people are getting um, placed and use that. Um, podcast sighting, yeah, um, once it's, it becomes a bit of a wormhole. Like once you go down yeah. like the podcast <laughs> research thing, you just find loads more. But I know getting started can be tricky when you're not you haven't been doing this. Where um, do you go, Alice? Where do you go for information about podcast size and how much they reach? Where is there a particular place mm, that you have to sign up with to get the information, or are there free places? Um, it's not, I, as far as I know, I don't know a way of knowing exactly how many downloads a podcast has. What I kind of use to measure metrics is the number of Apple podcast reviews. So, you know, if you're looking at like work life with Adam Grant and there's like, I don't know how many, but probably right, like 6,000 right. Apple podcast right, reviews, right, right. that's, that's a biggie. That's a big fish. Right. Um, if there's like maybe 15, 20, that's more niche. And there's so much value in being on niche podcasts. One for the relationship so. and two, like, yeah. So that's kind of what I do. And then, of course, you can look at like the podcast host social media metrics. And if they have like a bajillion followers, you know, that their podcast is probably going to be pretty big too. Um, but there's, no, there's nowhere to plug in the name of a podcast or there's nowhere to – there's no tracker that you like, you know, like the billboard. Remember, there used to be a thing called billboard for, yeah. you know, top 100 music. Video. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are like lists on Apple Podcasts of like the top 100 career podcasts, the top 100 business podcasts. And that's great if you if you have that like very, if, if your podcast audience is within one of, within one of those niches. That's a great way of um, finding, like, the fairly popular podcasts within your industry. I would just check, one, that there are recent episodes if you're going to pitch them. And two, if they take guests, because not all podcasts take guests. Yes, correct. Okay. So you can – and also you could probably just Google top podcasts in women's business. Yeah, yeah. Some of those links are a little bit dubious. Like (laughs) – I don't know. (laughs) They often have old podcasts. I don't know if it's because of paid-to-play media, but, like, there are – I can't remember the sites, but there are some sites that always has podcast lists, and the podcasts are just not very impressive, or they're not releasing new episodes. 
I, I, like they just don't look like great podcasts and I kind of wonder how they ended up on the list. Um, oh, maybe they were paid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just double check that, but you can tell, like you, you can batch it out just by so looking go at to the your, podcast. So go to Apple and then double check how many reviews they have. And if yeah, they have no yeah. reviews, you understand what it is. Okay. That's good. <laughs> okay. And then, and then how do you go about pitching them? You find out their, where's the information about who owns it and how to reach them? Yeah. Okay. So how to reach them. Um, there are a, a couple of different ways you can go about this. Um, there's a paid option. There's a site called podseeker.com that has a lot of podcasts on. I think it's like $50 a month and you can get their contacts. Um, but mostly I didn't use that. I only recently found out about that resource. Um, what we kind of do internally for research is it's, um, one, the website of the podcast has a website. Sometimes the contact details are there. Two, Facebook pages have been quite helpful. So if the podcast or the podcast host has a Facebook page, often the email's there. Um, three, there is a tool called Clearbits, like an extension, clearbit.com. Co, I think, or maybe .com, um, and it's a free extension. You get like a hundred searches a month that you can add to your email, and um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Um, but it's it's supposed to sort of scan a domain and pick up the people that work within that organization. Clear um, bit b i t yeah yeah, yeah. B-I-T. dot com Clear. dot co? I think so. It's either dot com or dot co. I can't remember. Okay, okay, <laughs> we'll find it. Great. Yeah, so those are the those are the main ones. Um, very very rarely you can't find a, a podcast host um, contact on in, in either of those three ways. Uh, you can either or contact forms on on web pages. A oh, lot right. of podcasts have guest application forms if they do use that because that's the method that they want and they will go through those application forms when they choosing guests. Um, if you don't use a guest application form, you'll probably just get redirected to it. So you'll just save time by doing the guest application form. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Those are the main one ways I can think of. And then how do you go about making your pitch? So say you've figured out where you want, you've got five or 10 that you want to pitch. Yeah. So what's your next step in there? What do you, what do you do? Um, Okay, so so I have a podcast pitching guide um, that you should also take a look at. But um, in terms of writing a pitch, I'd say first things first, okay, let's start with the subject line. The subject line should ideally be captivating, of course, interesting, but match the style of the podcast's um, titles. That is a very personalized way of kind of showing the host that this is – a pitch directed to their show and it's not a spray and prayer pitch spray and prayer pitch um then personalize of course use the host's name mention something really specific about the, their show and saying i really love your show is not specific <laughs> um mm-hmm. so if you can pick up a very specific detail about something maybe something i mentioned in an episode that's a good way of kind of showing the host that you have listened to the show and that you're specifically pitching their show and this isn't a copied and pasted pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest is pretty templated. Um, of course, making sure it's a fit for the show. So um, to save yourself time, I would write up 
um, a couple of pitch templates that could work for different types of podcasts or audiences. So I usually open up with a kind of shocking narrative um, because <laughs> what what used to work, I think, I don't know if it ever did, but I'm assuming is pitching someone for their credibility. And I think that in the this kind of attention economy we live in, you kind of need to catch someone off the bat with an interesting story. You can get mm. into the credibility later. Um, okay. So yeah, so like just a, an example, you could say like, um, in my second year of working in corporate, I reported an instance of sexual harassment. One week later, I got an email saying I'm fired. Like that's a very short narrative, but it catches the host's attention. It alludes to an important topic coming up and then I would say like are you interested in having me on the this isn't total fiction by the right, way right 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 um, are you interested in having me on and then like the podcast name to talk about um ways in which leaders can um combat uh I don't know <laughs> um sexual harassment yeah, sexual, right like and right. then include some speaking points which kind of show what value the listeners are going to get um are they going to be learning how to uh, yeah yeah so it would be like making a psychologically safe workspace include like one or two details on what that means and how that would happen um i would do like four to five speaking points um try keep them really succinct because um the host will be scanning through the email right and then um a your credibility in like two lines or less. So really just saying like, this is who I am, what I do, um, like an in- impressive metric. If you have a TEDx talk, we can mention that there. If you, um, I don't know, recently interviewed Barack Obama, you can mention that there. And if you didn't do those things, that's totally fine too. <laughs> like you don't have to have done something crazy impressive. But yeah, right. just keep the bio short. And then I would include the relevant links as like links that can easily be clicked into because um, the right. podcast host will kind of, if they're interested in the pitch, they'll probably want to know a little bit more right. um, about you and where you are and hanging out. And then a call to action, which is, do you want to connect for an episode? Um, it's, I don't know if, if you if, if talking this through makes sense, but um, if you go to my website, which is hustlingwriters.com, you can find a lead magnet that has this written down, which is probably easier to work with than hearing me talk it through. Um, you're gonna but, you're you're giving us one of your lead magnets that has a when I looked at yes, it, it has that template yeah. in it, right? Is that the template yeah. that's in there? Okay, cool. Which we'll put. Yeah. We'll put into onto our site, and then they can pick it up there. Yeah, there's a template, and then there's kind of detailed um, guide on these what I mentioned just now. Great, and you know what's funny to hear you speak? It's exactly the same thing you had to do when you were pitching articles. It's exactly, no different. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's just. Yeah. It's just and I have been contending for a while, um, having come out of magazines and loved magazines my whole life, I've mm-hmm. been contending for a while that podcasts are the new magazines. Yeah. That is where people go to get information. That's where they go to get um, ideas. That's where they – it has become the new magazine. That's such an 
Let's talk about niche topics too, because mm. that um, niche podcasts, I think, are better for you in many ways than the big broad giant. I mean, yes, it's nice if you can get the big broad giant podcast, yeah. <laughs> but you don't need that. You don't need that to get traction. I think. I mean, it's the old again. We're going back to a magazine comparison. Yeah. Um, there were differences in the way that magazines were built. There were back in the, I think it was the 30s when Condé Nast sold, um, bought Vogue and bought Vanity Fair. He, he did a very different thing than what the other magazine purveyors were doing. The magazine purveyors back in the day were trying to get the amass these giant audiences. I mean, magazines mm. back then had like audiences of six million. Like it was completely mm. insane. And wow. Condé Nast came in and said, no, I'm going to do a different, a different uh, structure because I'm going to go more upscale and you're not going to have 6 million people who want the upscale thing. I'm going to give you mm -hmm. just 500,000 who want what you're talking about. So yeah. how do you, how do you know whether you should be, you know, pitching more niche than, because it really makes a lot of sense. I mean, if if you have, you know, six million people listening to your podcast, but only a hundred thousand have the need that you're yeah. talking about. I mean, it's nice to be on the big one, but you may as well go right to the people that only talk about that niche, no? Yeah. I mean, I I I am a huge advocate for the value of niching and general because of you know, if you speak to everyone, you speak to no one. If you yeah. speak to a very specific group of people, they right. will hear your messages um, more clearly. Um, in podcasting, I kind of do a bit of a mixed approach because, of course, like the big ones right. are it's like it's like landing your New York Times right. byline. Right. Like it's like right. that's just amazing, and to be connecting with someone with the influence that you have. Right. Um, but yeah, in terms of finding the right niche podcasts, because of course there are lot of niche podcasts that may not be right for you because unlike magazines anyone can start a podcast yes um i would look at the per the host is the host someone who you think is smart interesting um is it someone whose content you think you're learning from do they seem to have an engaged audience um of course you can't easily tell that on po apple podcasts but if you look at their like linkedin or their instagram you can kind of get a sense of that sort of thing um yeah so so i think that there definitely is there's a lot of power to like speaking to the the very target audience who has the specific problem that you're addressing if you're a business owner or um who yeah, I think I would look, I would look, I would very much look into the podcast host and who they are and, um, and how much value you get from their content. Do you have um, a, a, a minimum threshold that you won't look below? In terms of podcast sizes? Yeah. Um, no, not really. Uh, I know like when clients become booked out, they, then, then we have thresholds because ah, it's like they're just time is um, valuable yeah time time becomes precious so so then um it might be like we realize that certain podcast sizes do ha, do have more traction um 
I know that the like top 1% or top 0.5% have typically led to more sales. Um, and I don't know if that's because, um, yeah, I don't know if it's just because maybe there's a higher chance of the right person listening. Um, so that's the, that's the 0.5 to 1% of size of podcast leads to more sales. And you would figure that out by reviews or how would you, how would I know? That's when they know exactly that this person bought in because this person said, I heard you on this podcast and that's why I'm reaching out to you about your services. That's the only really way we know. Like the other way you can know with like opt-ins and stuff is if you create a special link for each podcast episode. Uh, My clients haven't done that. Yeah. That's tough. Um, yeah, so we only really know because people said, I heard you on the show, and that's why yeah. I reached out to you about this. Okay. Um, but I think also another thing is, like, do – if you – let's say you're a coach and you have a very expensive offering, um, you're talking – maybe you're talking to um, – you you have tra- you do corporate trainings for, um, like, leaders and, and – they're paying corporate prices. Yes. Um, I would make sure that the podcast listeners are your target audience. So another example is if, like, you're a coach and you do um, one-on-one, like, B2C offerings and they cost 10K upwards or something, if the person whose podcasts are coming on to doesn't have very expensive offerings, then that's probably not an audience ready for what you have to offer. But if they have expensive offerings themselves, then they probably have more of an audience that's ready to buy into what you're selling. I don't know if okay. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, They're yeah. Kind yeah, of no. assessing the yeah. post stage of business in comparison to yours. <laughs> yes, and making sure that their audience is open to a high end product. Yeah. Or yes, expensive exactly. product. Yeah, that that's yeah. <laughs> good, too. Well, wonderful. So tell us, Alice, where can we find you? They'll find um, – we'll go ahead and post your um, download, which will be great. But where yeah. can they find you directly, and um, uh, where can they follow you? Yeah, um, Instagram at Alice Draper, um, and LinkedIn is Alice Draper. I'll share the link with you. Um, but, yeah, if you search Alice Draper – there's a bio that says, I pitch coaches on the podcast. That's me. <laughs> oh, good. Great. So thank you so much, Alice. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Leslie. It was so great being here and, and meeting you. <laughs> so thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope it was helpful to you. I would love it if you enjoyed this podcast and it was helpful to you. If you'd leave us a review, leave us five stars somewhere too. That helps us get visibility with other people who may need the help from this podcast. Please subscribe. And again, if you're serious about your reinvention and really want some support while you're going through it, mosey on over to CoveyClub.com and you will find everything you need to get going. And again, Don't do this alone. It's hard. I created Covey Club so you wouldn't have to do it alone the way I did. So anyway, come on over. We'll see you there and we'll see you next time. Bye.